0: Hi everyone, this is Kine, and welcome to another episode of Think Queen. We are so happy you're here. Today's episode is a conversation I really hope resonates for all of you. I know it does for me. Today, we're going to be talking about the science of sexuality. This may come as a shock to some of you, but I'm gay. That's right. For as long as I can remember, I've always had one hand on a microphone and the other one on my hip long before I ever heard of other gay people or even before I knew what that word was. To me, I was simply just a boy who had all girlfriends and I acted like a girl. I remember when I was young, it always made people smile and laugh until I got older. And then all of that changed. People started calling me weird. And I just wanted so badly to be quote unquote normal. And I think a lot of queer people can relate to feeling, like it's just not a choice, it's something natural in our brains and in our hearts that we can't control. I mean, I guess it may have been a choice for me to live a gay lifestyle and marry a man, but I mean, the alternative was to choose to suppress my own feelings and live my life as a lie, which why should anybody have to choose that? It's been a journey full of ups and downs, but today I'm constantly surrounded by gay people and allies who lift me up However, when I step outside of that bubble and encounter homophobia, it's still so jarring to me. There's still so many people out there who think that being queer is a choice and that it's something that they're just allowed to object to and that there's this agenda out there to influence young people into this lifestyle. And that's why I wanted to do this episode so we can all dive a little bit deeper Where does biology intersect with culture in terms of sexuality? Where does nature intersect with nurture? We know that there are cultures in the world and throughout history that have a strict gender binary, no homosexuality. And then there are cultures where homosexuality is totally cool. There's free gender expression and there are people who live outside the binary. Our guest today is someone who is an expert on sex. They've devoted their life to queer advocacy, sex education, and the empowerment of marginalized communities. And her name is Daniela Noel. Hi, Daniela.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: I wanted to sort of start out by just having you introduce yourself, telling us a little bit about your story and your background for those who may not know you.
1: Yeah, so I have been living the queer, lesbian lifestyle all my life. Almost the opposite story to what you were talking about with that. I was always a more masculine presenting girl. I just was like a tomboy my whole life. And I didn't really understand my queerness, but I had a mom who was really awesome and inclusive, had uh, queer friends live at our home that were dealing with tough times. We really had an open door policy at our house. So there were friends, family members that came and stayed with us and lived with us if they needed support. So yeah, it was just a great opportunity for me to get more exposure to queer people because I grew up in Burlington, Ontario, and it has uh, left a lot of stains of harm on me. But being queer wasn't one of them for me so much because I was able to go to my first Pride at 15 before I'd even come out to my mom. It was just like, she goes to Pride every year. So she's like, come on, let's go. I love that. (laughs) You know? So I was able to have the opportunity to not have to come out. I just got the ability, the agency, and the support of just being able to be whoever I want to be. And that's why I am such an advocate for marginalized folks is not just because there's so many intersections of our identity, being that black, being queer, I'm a person living with an invisible disability as well, there's so many intersections to my identity, I make my mess my message, and I infuse that into everything that I do. So. Because I was a tomboy, I had puberty early, I had precocious puberty. If we're going to start talking about the science of things, I have higher levels of testosterone, not to the point where I'm intersex, but Mm -hmm. just a slight variance. In the box that the medical community has said, oh, if it's this high, you're intersex, which is, we'll talk about (laughs) later. But yeah, so I had precocious puberty. My mom had to talk to me about sex at a very young age. I started watching Sunday Night Sex Show with Sue Johansson. I love the way she unflinchingly tackles the subjects of sex, sexuality, shame, stigma, all in one space. And the biggest thing for me is that you don't have to look sexy to talk about sex, because I think that is one of the things. Like, I can look good, you know, I can be a sexy bitch, but (laughs) I'm an educator, and I want people to be looking at what's inside my brain, not what the outside looks like and not to focus on those things so I teach people how to do that in the workplace as well I teach people how to do that with sexuality I teach people how to be better and do better because when we know better we do better and I Mm -hmm. absolutely love that quote from Maya Angelou and I use it all the time because it's so important right and everyone's knowing better they're doing a little better
0: I love your story. I feel like it's so refreshing because I feel we're just always hearing from queer people that their families weren't supporting them and they felt so alone and isolated. So like, honestly, good for you that your mom was so supportive. Seeing as you are a sex educator, I want to start off this episode by digging into the science of it all. So Daniela, what exactly is the science of sexuality all about?
1: The science of sexuality, it's very tough because there's so many different sectors that we talk about sexuality within. When we're talking about orientation, who people love, when we're talking about pleasure, um, receiving pleasure, orgasms, masturbation, when we're talking about relationship dynamics, consent, healthy relationships. That's why when I talk about doing sex education in schools, it's a very broad subject that people think are really narrow, but sex and sexuality is encompassing so many parts of our life. So by saying, what is sexuality science? It is anything that has to do with people interpersonally, individually, whether it's talking about them having sex, or when we're talking about, for instance asexual folks uh, who may not have may not have sex a lot or at all on their choosing, right mm-hmm. there are so many different attributes to talking about sexuality as science, and there are some people who are doing it in a very scientific manner when we talk about what is a good study, how how are studies performed, And sometimes it's just your basic level buzzfeed, you know, or quiz, the am I gay quiz? How many times did I have to take that one, right? (laughs) (laughs) So it really encompasses a lot, but it's important to know in the science of sexuality that we are just making sure that we include everyone into the discussion, especially people who identify from those communities. One thing that I can think of is intersex people. One in 10 people are intersex, which is the same occurrence as natural born redheads. But there are many people in society that are fearful to talk about their intersex identity. When I was tested as a kid, um, I had precocious puberty. When I was tested, they said to me, oh, maybe she's intersex. Maybe that's why this is happening. In their box, I wasn't, but it was important to know that you know these people existed. Because when we can talk about all of the people that exist in our society, we can break down the stigma and then we can have quality research on how their bodies work, how their minds work, how they live and love.
0: I had no idea that one in 10 people are intersex. I feel like I've researched this before. I thought it was closer to like one in 100. Like I thought it was much... Like rare or even that, but one in ten seems like so much. Um, but I I have heard, because I've done my own research on this, that like the way doctors diagnose intersex people at birth is there's such a gray area around it because basically all it means is that, you know, somebody is born with ambiguous looking genitals, which like so many doctors can take to mean different things. So I feel like it probably is really hard to pin down the exact percentage of intersex people out there. But anyway, since since we are on the topic of people being born outside the heteronormative standard, I have to ask you this because it's a much debated question. Are queer people born queer? Or is there an element of culture and upbringing to it?
1: Oh, the old nature versus nurture debate. If Tegan and Sarah and other completely queer multiples of twins can show us anything, it's that family lines can be queer. And theoretically, it's possible, you know, to soon see if there are genes that make us queer. But technologically, we have the ability, but we're not able to pinpoint um, specific genes yet. But it's coming soon if we can listen to people firsthand and understand that it's not the nurture of a family member who says, I accept you for who you are, that makes them queer. It's the ability to have somebody that will listen to their story and will accept them for who they are, no longer having to live into the shadows of life. And as a queer community, we know and we love. All all hail Lady Gaga. She told us, we are born this way, right? And we are. And I truly feel that I was born this way, into this queer body. And I don't believe that anything that my mother did to be an accepting and loving person or taking me to pride when I was 15 made me queer. It made me say, wow, I have people around me who support me and care about me no matter how I identify or who I date. So it made me open to say, yeah, I am bisexual and that's who I am. So make sure we understand that when it comes to nature, queer folks are born this way, but it comes to nurture. We have to have a nurturing community around us to feel comfortable in being who we are because we were born this way.
0: Yeah. I. Definitely agree. At least from my experience, I definitely feel like I was born this way as well. I couldn't change it even if I wanted to. But there is a big element that if you are born and raised in a nurturing community, it does help you sort of feel more comfortable with being yourself and at least feeling comfortable to come out and live the way you want to do. Because there are so many people in our society who don't have that upbringing. And there are so many people, I'm just thinking around the world who live in like really homophobic countries. And those countries may say that they don't have gay people, they don't have trans people. This is a new thing that's just coming from the West. But no, it's really just because those people don't feel comfortable with coming out in those societies. But obviously we know that there are societies out there that enforce a very strict gender binary but are there examples out there of other societies and cultures that don't believe in a strict heteronormative binary?
1: So we can actually find that there are some genderless communities very close to you, kind Tagalong folks and Tagalong speakers. It's actually a genderless language. I'm not sure if you knew that. Mm -hmm. And we can see in other cultures, in Maori cultures, if a wife dies in a Polynesian tribe, the man will take over the role as mother and the community will take over the role as father. So we can see that gender is very transformative and it's very fluid in many different countries. In the times before this, we can see Victorian times, uh, men were wearing wigs and makeup, uh, a lot of drag, (laughs) to be honest, and they were expressing their gender however they chose, and they were still men, they were aristocrats, Uh, they were the highest in society, and they were able to express their gender however they felt. In Egyptian culture, we can also see the use of makeup and dress, to express, you know, where you are from, express the um, level of society that you live in. Usually it's a lot of class, more than gender. But recently we've said, hey, you know what? Blue is here, pink is here. There's nothing in between.
0: Yes, Tagalog is gender neutral. We say sha instead of he or her. The pronoun is just sha, which, you know, is gender neutral. It doesn't have... A gender, And what's funny is actually in the world of the pre-colonial Philippines, they did embrace this idea of a third gender, which you'll actually see a lot in lots of Southeast Asian countries. And we know because when Spanish missionaries came to the Philippines, they wrote in their journals about seeing these like very feminine men who lived and presented as women in like all intents and purposes, they presented as women and were treated as women, but they were male. And instead of being cast aside as abominations, they were actually not only just tolerated, but they were lifted up and they were respected in society because they performed a role of a shaman. They were considered like spiritual leaders and they connected the real world to the spirit world. And when the Spanish colonized and Forced everybody to convert to Christianity, they also enforced this ideology that gender nonconforming people were sinning and abominations. And that explains why queer people are still being discriminated against to this day. You know, you go in the Philippines now, you'll still see lots of gay people, lots of gender non-conforming people, but somehow everybody else thinks that it's unnatural. Everybody wants to say that it's a sin, but it's just because of religion. It's because of this culture that is imposed on us, that being gay is somehow wrong and unnatural. And it's just because of the religion now that we have. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Think Queen. Switching gears, I want to ask you about this Gallup poll that I came across recently. It's a poll from 2021. They surveyed 12,000 adults in the U.S. about their sexuality. And what they found was that among the youngest generation, Gen Z, 21% of Gen Z identified as LGBT, compared to only 11% of millennials, 4% of Gen X, 3% of boomers, and 1% of traditionalists, which is the name for the generation older than boomers. So what do you think about that? Why does it seem like people identify with LGBT less and less as the generations get older.
1: Exactly. So what you said, so the latter in that sense of it's because we are now giving youth the language at a younger age. This is not grooming. It is education. It is literacy. Sexual literacy is important because when we talk about mathematics, which is going to help us have financial literacy, When we're talking about sexuality and identity literacy, we're talking about, hmm, I am able to understand myself better, so I don't have to come out at 42 with two children, you know? Or I don't have to act like this is something that's not happening in my life. The big thing is, is when we talk about queer folks, it's the idea of saying we have always been around. We will always be around. And it is in varying numbers. But let me tell you, they are very large. But it's the idea Mm -hmm. of people willing to live in their truth. So Gen Zers are willing to say uh, drugs and alcohol are stupid. I can identify my gender however I see it. You know, They're saying that I can be with whoever I want to be with. I'm not even going to put a label of pansexual on there. We went and did the bisexual to pansexual. And then Gen Zers are like, who cares about a rule book, right? So we've always been here. It's just now people are finally having the courage to just be like, oh, this is who I am.
0: Yeah, the language is changing and it's like, we finally have that box to tick. Like people think, oh my gosh, gay people are so new or trans people are so new, but they've always been around. We just didn't really have the language to describe it.
1: Yeah, Um, Gladys Bentley said in the Harlem Renaissance, hey, I'm a lesbian. I'm marrying a white woman in the 1920s, obviously not legally, but had a little ceremony situation, Mm -hmm. right? And then it was like, I want to be a man. But then there was a detransition right near the end of their life where they said, actually, I've come back to God. I am a woman. I was living the devil's life before. And people think, well, okay, this person has come to God. But like, no, it's that situation of being near the end of your life and being so alienated from your family Mm -hmm. and caregivers and all of those people. So you detransition. When we look at the research, the studies in regards to detransitioning, which a lot of you know groups will use as, well, what if youth regret it in mm-hmm. adulthood? It is always environmental factors that are detransitioning the youth that made the decision for themselves. It's their family never talking to them again. It's not having support. It's the same reasons Mm -hmm. why, you know, your lover couldn't sit beside you as you were dying of AIDS in the 80s. There's so much polarity between if people just see like history is something that repeats itself. So Mm -hmm. it is so true when we're talking about sexuality and gender identity as well.
0: Why do you think that so much of queer history has been kept from us? Why is it that like so many of the leaders in so many countries in the world are so fixated on enforcing such a restrictive view of gender and sexuality?
1: A lot of it is fear. I find with sexual education in schools, the biggest problem isn't what are we teaching the kids? It's how are the teachers going to teach this? Hmm. So how is your English teacher, your drama teacher, your math teacher, your gym teacher, how are they going to teach you about gender and sexuality when they're figuring it out themselves? You know, Hmm. they're going to shy away and say, "Mm." We don't need to learn that because I don't even want to start looking and identifying the parts inside myself where I was like, well, you know, I really did like having sex with other boys at summer camp. But then at 16, my family sat me down and told me, like, I'm going to have to be a man and I'm going to have to take care of my family Mm -hmm. and marry a woman and have 2.5 children and do all that. So you realize, oh, well, where is... Where does me uh, having sex with other men fall into that? Or even if it was me, like, where's the ladies? Mm -hmm. Where's the non-binary folks (laughs) fit into there? They don't. So now you're a rebel. And lots of people didn't want to rebel from the constructs of society that they were in or question what they could be because questions beget more questions. They don't always beget answers and concrete answers, as we can see in mathematics as well.
0: Since you brought up sex ed in schools, I wanted to ask you, because there's been a lot of talk lately about whether it's appropriate for kids to be exposed to LGBT people or what age it should be at. In Florida, they've passed this don't say gay law to stop teachers from talking about queer sexualities in schools. In Tennessee, they proposed a bill that would criminalize any adult cabaret performance in public spaces where minors could be, which if that was in Ontario would like take away all my gigs because I do all ages drag shows, drag story time, pride parades, all of that would be felonies under this bill. And even in Kitchener, my hometown in Ontario, the school board had to pen an open letter because so many people had just been calling in to ban books and to get all of this stuff out of classrooms, accusing them of being pedophiles, groomers. We've all heard the names. Where do you think this is all coming from?
1: So I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think it's so important to talk about this. That's when we have to do those down to brass tacks. Like, queer people are people. When can mm-hmm. we introduce children to people? Whenever you feel comfortable. <laughs> but it's not a queer person that should be stopping you, right? It's the idea of, okay, what are we talking about with kids? Like... I'm not going into schools and every single time I'm having a grade three class being like, hey, everyone, let's talk about anal sex.
0: No. But that's what they think is happening. And that's what they're like, oh my gosh, like this is evil. They're telling kids about anal sex and they're handing out condoms.
1: Yeah, like I'm handing out condoms to high school kids because they are. -hmm. (laughs) those are the kids that are getting pregnant. You know, when I do sexuality and identity workshops with small children, these are the things that I talk about. Consent in healthy relationships, like with our family, Mm -hmm. our moms and dads. (laughs) Telling people that I don't want to, you know, hug you. Teaching children that, especially with the news of the uh, sexual trafficking ring and having firefighters and people you trust, teachers, teaching children that, Trust is earned, not just freely given, right? Consent can be given and taken away whenever you feel like it. Getting them to understand that in small ways, but not in a sexual framework. It's in a, hey, someone steals your apple. (laughs) You know, do you push them down and say, Mm -hmm. how dare you do that to me? Or do you say that this person's a terrible person you never talk to them again? No, you say, oh, sorry, that was mine. Like, have them understand. Try to work together.
0: Do you think there's any way of getting through to the people that just seem so vehemently against having any sort of mention of queer people in schools? Because some people will just say, you know, as we joke that us existing in a place where there are people younger than 18 is automatically grooming. You know, some people are just so against that and they just want us all to be banished back down to the underground clubs, back down to the basements. Mm -hmm. Is there any way of changing their minds?
1: We just have to say who wants to know more and how can I teach them best is how I see things, is who wants to learn. I am willing to share information And have tete-a-tetes with people who are willing to, you know, see a different point of view. And for the people who won't change, we just hope that, you know, love speaks louder.
0: I love your message of love speaks louder. Because I, I truly believe, like, there are so many people out there who are kind of on the fence. And yeah, they see these videos on their For You page. They're hearing all these ideas. But their hearts can still be open. They can still change their minds. They can still you know, see people like me and you out there and realize, oh, these people seem like human beings just like me.
1: And if we can make the rules, we can change them. And we have done that over the centuries with gender, with jobs, Mm -hmm. with agriculture, with cities. The world is constantly changing and moving and going. So if we can make the rules, we can change them. My biggest thing is do the best Mm -hmm. you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. That's my message to youth. That's my message to people who do not have the ability to live their truth yet. Hold on, it gets better. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Think about the ideologies of the people that you know and you love and think it's not always right. Look into things. Shoot me a message. I'll answer anyone's message anytime. I might not get back to you right away. But ask an educator if you have a question. Gen Zers are a great explanation of that. We have a group of kids who are dropping drugs, alcohol. They're not having sex, but they are queer as hell. They're saying, you know, what kind of world have you left us with? Or are you going to leave us with? You know, they're asking questions that we weren't even prepared to ask at that age.
0: They're the hope of the future. So inspirational. I love all of that. I feel like that's a great place to end it. And I'm afraid we are running out of time. But before you go, I wanted to ask you some rapid fire questions that I'm going to randomly pull out of this hat.
1: Ooh, ooh, question box, my favorite.
0: <laughs> Let's see. Would you rather a zombie apocalypse or alien invasion?
1: Oh, alien invasion. Take me back home. Zombie apocalypse. I'm done
0: for. Right. I'm just curious to see what aliens would be like.
1: A little bit like me, maybe a little greener, maybe more a little purple.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what is a movie that you think everybody should watch?
1: A movie that everyone should watch. Okay, so queer movie, Moonlight, absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. And just general movie, because it's my favorite movie. It's uh, Almost Famous, so many queer undertones there. I haven't
0: heard of that movie.
1: Almost Famous, yeah, with uh, Kate Hudson. Um, yeah, kid leaves his overbearing mother till you know, <laughs> tour with a rock band. I think there's such a parallel to living your mm-hmm. crew life. Because sometimes we have to run away <laughs> to Church Street and hang out with a rock band for a little bit. But we get back on course.
0: Oh, I'll have to watch that one then. All right, I'll do one more. Oh, I love this question. If... You were on Drag Race and you had to lip sync for your life. What would be your dream lip sync for your life song?
1: I absolutely 100% would have to lip sync to Nicki Minaj Super Bass because I just love quick raps and I know that I would be on all my P's and Q's for every single word. So I would just be showing the judges all of it, giving, giving, giving.
0: Love it. Love it. All right. Well, thank you, Daniella, for joining me today. I feel like I learned a lot and I hope everybody listening learned a lot as well. Where can everybody find you if they want to go follow you?
1: Everyone can find me on Instagram at sex ed with Daniela. I'm hoping to start a TikTok, but I am too old for this, everybody. So we're going to have to figure something out. <laughs> but um, I also will be turning sex ed with Daniella into a podcast and working with some students from Bishop's University to talk about sex and sexuality on campus through this Violet Femmes project. So I'm super excited for all of that. So if you want to stay posted, just add me on Instagram at sex ed with Daniela.
0: I feel like I would have loved to have you as my sex ed teacher growing up.
1: It gets really fun. We have a great time when I do workshops. So yeah, I would have brought you I would have brought you right <laughs> out of your little shell. Cause I can feel <laughs> I, yeah.
0: all right. Lastly, I have one more question before you go. I want to ask all my guests this. If somebody was listening at home, they wanted to be just like you do what you do, become a professional sex educator, where is the first place they should start and what advice would you give them?
1: Have a love of learning. If you want to teach, you have to have a foundation of a love of learning and mentorship, 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 mentorship. You wanna be like me, call up your local Daniela, or call Daniella and say, hey, can you help mentor me? Cause I do mentor people. And Mm -hmm. I help teach them how to do their own version of what I do, because no one can do workshops just like I do them. Don't try to be the next Sue Johansson. Try to be the next sex ed with Daniela.
0: I love it. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so
1: much. It's so great.
0: Bye, Daniela. Think Queen is produced by Entertainment One, director of programming at E1's podcast network, Sasha Tong. Producer, Maddie Hanneke and Sasha Tong. Associate Producers, Chris Chu. Edited and mixed by Maddie Hanneke. For more episodes, subscribe to Think Queen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. And if you like this podcast, share it with your friends and make sure to leave a rating and review. Subscribe now to Think Queen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts.